Welcome nerd. Are you ready to launch 136 expedition into nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now placing your online order for two royals with cheese. Unencrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian, man. How you feeling? Uh, I'm fucking exhausted. Now, for people <laughs> who don't know, Christian had his big move this week, and you literally just finished, right, today? Barely. I mean, my I'm like sitting with like half my desk put together here. I, I still got to tear it all down so I can remount shit. It's it's been it's been one week of of nonsense for sure. <laughs> Moving sucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it gets worse the older you get too, because the more shit you like start to collect and everything. So I oh, I can't imagine like if you had to move the, your basement oh, alone. Yes, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it really is. I haven't moved in about ten years. And it was a nightmare then, and I can't imagine what it'd be like now, because I've got a exactly. lot more shit at this point. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, the more shit you end up collecting, that's for sure. Um, but you you ended up getting movers, right? Uh, we did have movers, but, you know, it's just the way things worked out, like, they only had, they were only able to move everything into our living room. I was like, we had to sleep in the living room for like a night. It was, uh, it was a mess. Yeah, I, good for you, man. Because when I was in my 20s, it was always mm. like calling like all my like friends and everything. It would just be like a big group effort. And then, of course, like a month later, you'd have to like repay the favor. So, but like once you hit 30, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm hiring people to do this shit. Except when it comes to like, you know, your toys, right? Like, did you bring all your toys over yourself? Oh, absolutely. All my figures were in boxes in my own car. And then my, of course, my computer was nice and buckled in in the front seat. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, no, I was the same way. I had to sit there and like individually wrap everything and, you know, bring it like over myself in a car. Like I didn't trust mm. anyone else to like touch that shit. So, um, yeah, that was all me. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, you know, next time we move, you know, I can't even like I'm going to have to be making multiple trips at this point, though. <laughs> I'm also one of those people who, like, you know, during a move, will just start chucking stuff. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't need this, you know. <laughs> Be like, uh, forget it, you know, just with giant garbage bags, you know, throwing shit away. I'm like, screw it, you know. It's it, it's just sitting here collecting dust, then why bring it? Yeah, exactly. I, I have, like, band t-shirts from middle school, like, that I've had since then. So I, I was just oh, throwing really? See, tons I keep of those, those away. <laughs> <laughs> I have shirts that in no way, shape, or form could ever fit me again that I like. I still have like hanging in my closet just because you know they're from a show or something like that. But I'm crazy. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not as passionate about <laughs> ACDC anymore. Oh, I would definitely keep ACDC. They're crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, yeah, moving sucks. So, all right, man, let's go ahead and get the show on the road before you pass out on me. Yes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, first up, DC Editor-in-Chief... Bob Harris among several DC comic layoffs. Yes, some definite bad news uh, when it comes to the DC comics front. Um, There's been huge, major shakeups happening. Um, Bob Harris and several other editors and employees were laid off. Um, Jim Lee was removed from his publishing role. Um, He's still with the company, but he'll be working as kind of an in-between guy between, um, you know, Warner Media and other brands. So, uh, yeah, it it looks like they're trying to bring in a new general manager from the world of eSports. But, you know, nothing's been finalized Mm. yet. Um, 
you know, layoffs were part of like a wider restructuring that's happening with Warner Brothers um, caused by like everything that's happening with uh, COVID-19 right now. Um, there's been huge dips in profits, obviously. Also, reportedly, a lot of the DC Universe's staff has been laid off. It sounds like they're going to be absorbed into HBO Max as it's trying to expand globally. Uh, you know, that's been kind of, you know, speculated for, mm-hmm. for like, you know, the last couple months, honestly. Um, and we've already seen a couple of the shows move over to HBO Max at this point. So I wasn't really surprised by that. I mean, it still sucks, though. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so it, it, you know, it's not good news when it comes to like DC comics right now. Um, scary times, you know, and it's, it's, it's weird timing because, you know, if you get the DC fandom events just in a couple (laughs) weeks, um, but I guess that's Warner brothers, right? Um, you know, I don't know what this means for, you know, the, the comic side of the brand. Um, you know, we heard rumors just like a few few months back honestly that you know they were really struggling um and that warner brothers and at&t weren't happy with the way the like the comics were performing and that there was even a possibility and this was a rumor that there was even a possibility that they would look to like you know leasing like the property out to like other publishers um you know while retaining the rights you know to the characters you know for things like movies and tv shows so we'll see. I mean, those were all rumors at the time. Um, I just can't imagine a world without DC Comics. That's insane. Um, but, you know, it, it's a possibility. I mean, fuck Marvel, you know, I believe actually went into bankruptcy back in the, you know, 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily, you know, someone came along and, you know, bought them. But I don't know. I don't know. It's scary times. You just, you would think like with properties like Batman and Superman, this, it would be no brainers, you know? Yeah. You'd be be printing money, right? Exactly. (laughs) I'm still blown away by it being a fucking esports director coming over for this. I I don't see the translation whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, CEOs and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, they, you know, jump, you know, to different, you know, branches and, you know, mediums all the time. Yeah, he'll probably be just, like, dealing with, like, the business side of things. Yeah, of course. Um, And you think about it, like, I mean, how many other, like, comic book, you know, uh, CEOs are there to really choose from? <laughs> <True>. So, <laughs> so I mean, what do you what are you going to do? I mean, but um, it's just crazy to think how much, like, COVID has just, like, escalated things. Because, I mean, that rumor about, you know, Warner Brothers and AT&T not being happy with how, like, DC Comics was performing was before. That was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now I think everything's just heightened, um, you know, and just kind of, like, sped up that process. So, I don't know. It's scary. All right. Well, up next, Marvel and Sony Spider-Man three villains could be Craven the Hunter and Scorpion. So apparently there's a rumor that Sony is looking for a Joel Kinnaman type actor um, for the unspecified role long speculated to be Craven the Hunter. Um, I'm a big Craven fan, so that's cool. I don't see how the scorpion necessarily ties into that i think it's more just them kind of thinking okay well let's connect the dots we saw max in the first film so now would be a good time for max to show up in the third film um but otherwise you know it is what it is i'd rather have them focus on one character at a time honestly yeah but you know what they're trying to do yeah no i know but we've seen (laughs) what a mess that can be (laughs) they want that sinister six movie they it's- do. They do. <laughs> there was even a rumor of a Mysterio solo movie out there, hmm. which is just, God damn it. You know, Sony, <laughs> you know, just focus on Spider-Man, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm a fan of Craven. I think he'd make a great villain for Spider-Man to go up against, especially if he's on the run at this point. You know, having Craven hunt him down makes perfect sense. I really don't need Scorpion to be kind of like clogging things up and just, I don't know, getting in the way or taking up time story-wise. But, you know, I I could definitely see him having a a bit of a cameo role here too. Especially if we've got um, the Vulture out on the loose too. Mm -hmm. It seems like in Morbius, right? He, you know, at least from the trailer, it looks like maybe he's been set free. 
So, I mean, maybe that there's a big prison break or something. This is me speculating. <laughs> it's based on nothing but, like, two seconds of footage. Um, and maybe that's how we end up getting our Sinister Six movie. Um, and God knows, like you said, they've been waiting for years now to do a Sinister Six movie. Um, hopefully that's underneath, you know, Kevin Foggy's umbrella, though, because I just don't trust Sony. It probably won't be. It's, it's... <laughs> no, Stop it's it, Sony. <laughs> you remember they wanted to do an Ant-May movie? Yeah, I remember the Ant-May movie. <laughs> People wonder why I don't trust Sony. <laughs> Super spy Ant-May. Oh my God, can you imagine? <sighs> uh, all right, well, let's move on, Christian. All right, up next, X-Men, the animated series producer, confirms revival talks with Disney. But a Wizard World panel, a virtual panel, that is, uh, Larry Houston, who is the producer and the director of, you know, the X-Men animated series, has confirmed that they've had conversations with Disney Plus about bringing the show back in some form. Um, he said he would be completely open to it and he's willing to do whatever they want in the future. Um, you know, and he would definitely come out of retirement if they brought back his original team. Uh, in a interview back in 2019 uh, with The Hollywood Reporter, Houston also said that he would love to continue where he left off with like the same aesthetic and tone that made, you know, the X-Men animated series such a huge hit originally. Mm -hmm. So I'm, of course, all for this. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the original series. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I wouldn't mind them you know, maybe starting something new, you know, with the same aesthetics and tone. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to see them carry over the, you know, original storyline of the series since they kind of left off in like a weird place with like Professor X going to space and, you know, the team being kind of left alone. It seemed like they're kind of, you know, maybe uh, joining forces with Magneto. So I kind of would like them to have a clean slate, but, you know, it is what it is. I'll just be happy to have it back, honestly. No, I'm sure there's some way to soft reboot it if they'd want to, like, keep parts that they like and get rid of, you know, other elements that won't make sense to a newer audience. But it's just like, I definitely think that this show would definitely work nowadays. I definitely think that they could, uh, you know, send some great messages throughout this show going forward Absolutely. with the X-Men. Yeah, and the X-Men is such a timeless concept, mm -hmm. so... Um, yeah, I, I would, you know, I, would you want to keep it in the nineties? It's such a nineties show. Like, would, do you feel like they need to update it to like, you know, modern times? I mean, I, I don't mind it staying in the nineties. Just give me a couple more frames, you know, to their, to your animation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a little choppy uh -huh. going back and like rewatching it, <laughs> but I'm sure they'll all be updated uh -huh. you know, at this point. So no, but exciting news. Hopefully, you know, something actually comes of it. All right. And next up, the last Airbender showrunners leave the Netflix live action remake. So recently, the beloved uh, fantasy franchise um, made its way onto Netflix and, it, of course, blew up, you know, as most of these Nickelodeon series that do get to be on Netflix do. Um, and man, were there been some big talks for an actual live action series but um what we what we quickly found out was that the directors of the original show have decided to leave as they feel that their um the direction that they wanted it to go is not the same way that netflix wants to take it um their words being exactly they've they've really soured on how the production is going and the only way that they seem to be able to voice their concerns is by actually leaving the production um that that really sucks because uh, <laughs> I was actually kind of getting some high hopes for them, you know, making a live action version that might actually be good after the shit version we got from Shyamalan. Um, I, it's it's very disappointing to hear that the Netflix has continued on with this uh, very bad trope that they've created for themselves uh, with making bad live action series, and like especially when I see that they're going to be making a Cowboy Bebop series. Man, that makes me scared for that. You know, that's a really big art piece that you're like trying to recreate in live action form. If you fuck with, if you can't handle fucking the 
Last Airbender, how are you going to do Cowboy Bebop? Why do they have such an issue with, you know, doing live action anime shows? Because it seems like they handle other properties, you know, like translated to live action fairly well. You know, like shows like Umbrella Academy and other like comic book properties. Mm-hmm. Or even so like I, um, The Witcher. The Witcher was yeah, handled well, very well. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just hard to translate like, you know, the the medium? I'm not exactly sure because, I mean, even on, on the Japanese side, when you see like the Japanese live action versions of the anime are kind of on the cheaper side, it feels. I don't know if that's just, um, you know, budget concerns or what, but I, I don't know. Live action does not. I don't know. There's a weird translation between live action and the actual anime. And you would think like shows like Avatar and Cowboy Bebop would translate perfectly into live action. You know, they're very mm. simplistic, like, storylines. With While, like, Avatar has a lot of superpowers and stuff like that, you know, you would think... It, it, it doesn't seem like it's something too hard. Like, even Warrior Nun, you know, had that kind of production value that you would, you know, you would expect from Netflix to bring to life, like, a show kind of like the Avatar. Um, even though Warrior Nun was bad, I'm just saying there was, <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely, like... An idea that if with enough money and enough skill behind it, you can make this look good and make it worthwhile. Um, and I don't know, Netflix doesn't seem to be able to translate those perfect animes into these live action series. But I, I haven't seen the show yet. I mean, the showrunners could be over dramatic, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. All right, man. So that does it for the news this week. Pretty, pretty slow week. I'm sure uh, we'll get a lot more news in the coming weeks with, you know, DC fandom right around the corner. Exactly. Hopefully, you know, it's not that they fired everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no more doom and gloom. Yes, please. Come on, DC. (laughs) This week's episode is sponsored by Manscaped. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Christian, we're all stuck inside right now, and a lot of us are taking care of household projects that we all thought we'd never get to. Well, I'm here to tell you, don't let things get out of control below the belt. It's time to add shaving your balls to your honey to-do list. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light, so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower. Whatever floats your boat. Listen, God knows, it looks like I got two caterpillars fighting my forehead. So I was super excited when Manscaped released their Shears 2.0 nail kit which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded pointed scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. On their website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. You'll also find the Crop Reviver a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. And listen, we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing yourself, you fucking weirdos. So go (laughs) to Manscaped.com and check out all these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of the show will get 20% off plus free shipping when they go to manscaped.com slash nerdshow. That's right, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com slash nerdshow. It's time to grab 2020 by the balls and show it who's boss with Manscaped. And the Nerd Show. Yes, uh, you watched the series. That's right, I watched Transformers War for Cybertron. Honor will not win this war. This is the final day of the Autobot Resistance. 
the Netflix animated series set in the world of battling Autobots and Decepticons, uh, produced by Rooster Teeth Productions. Transformers War for Cybertron is the Transformers series that I've been waiting for since the original ended. It's a love letter to longtime fans, an absolute must watch. Um, I can't say this enough. Um, you gotta watch this series. Um, like I said, I was a huge fan of the show in the 80s, you know, and the toys. I mean, I was the kid in the theater, traumatized by the film, um, the animated film. I mean, Michael Bay's films also traumatized me, but that's a different kind of trauma. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, like I still have like that soundtrack on my phone till this day. So I'm definitely a fan. Um, while there have been different iterations that have been okay, none have quite hit the mark, if you ask me. Um, whether it's character design or size of cast or too much focus on human element, it's been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, but then along came War for Cybertron. Uh, after years, finally, you know, someone realized that being Netflix and Rooster Teeth, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, these are pretty much the Transformers I grew up with. Uh, the original character designs, you know, albeit with their, like, Cybertron vehicle modes, which, I mean, they actually honor the ones that we see in, like, the original series, so that's cool. Um, but, you know, besides, like, just cosmetics, what this series does is, like, we take that legendary war and we actually make it feel like a freaking war. Uh, we get a look at like the final dark days of Cybertron. The Autobots have their backs against the wall. They're desperate and hope is starting to wane. This like kind of storytelling leads to characters getting much needed layers that make these giant transforming alien robots feel more human. Um, which I don't know if that makes sense, but whatever. Um, we get to watch like Optimus Prime doubt his choices and seem to like almost blame himself when, you know, there are losses. Um, Megatron, he's much more than just a cackling power hungry like Madman. He truly believes in his cause and he like at times has to like ponder like what's going too far. Um, it's much more than just like good versus evil. Um, you know, at times, they both have to operate in, like, morally gray areas. Um, and there are just plenty of, like, betrayals and heartbreaking situations to go around for both sides. It's the kind of, like, storytelling, of course, that we've been getting for years in the comics, you know, which I highly recommend checking out. Uh, but, like, now the show is, like, finally starting to catch up. The, the animation is well done, like as an avid toy collector, especially like of this recent line of Transformers, um, this old series feels like the toys come to life. It's remarkably well rendered and the movements and actions feel fluid, not like as clunky as other like 3D animation series. Also, there's a fantastic like gr like grime and grit to Cybertron. It truly feels like a planet torn apart by war. And th the same could be said of like the characters themselves. They're all like battle damaged and like you feel like they've gone through hell. Uh, the series itself is well paced. It's only six episodes, so they don't waste any time. But like they sprinkle enough like character moments in between the action to make you actually care. Also, they let you know from the start that this is a war. There are going to be casualties. And this really helps, like, amp up a lot of the missions because the viewer knows, like, the odds are so stacked that most of, like, you know, these characters are probably not going to make it out alive. For the most part, the voice acting is solid. Uh, Peter Cullen's, like, portrayal of Optimus Prime is, like, some really big shoes to fill. But Jake Foshi like, does a serviceable job. Um, you know, at times it does feel a bit of an impression, but there have been, like, I don't know, it's a serviceable job, I'll say that. Um, there have been, like, some tweaks to characters' personalities, um, Bumblebee, like, being the biggest one. While I could see it, like, upsetting some diehard fans, I actually thought it was a real interesting take on the character, and I think it's pretty obvious that this is just the beginning of his journey. Uh, so, freaking relax. <laughs>
Um, this is a trilogy series, and the finale does a great job of like setting up a must-see second chapter. And it essentially puts us like in the time frame right where the original 80s cartoon like starts. So I can't wait to see their version of that story. But anyway, I, I can't say enough about this show. It, like I said, it's a wonderful love letter to lifelong G1 fans. Um, but I, I think it also serves as the perfect jumping on point to new fans alike, honestly. No, it's great to really hear that the series seems to be sh highlighting the Transformers for once. <laughs> yeah, know? crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no Spike running around, you know, <laughs> mucking things up. Exactly. Yeah, it's all pure robots, goddammit. That's the way it should awesome. be. Well, if you had to give this a grade, what would you give it? I'm going to give it an A-. And the only reason it's not a solid A is because they didn't use the original theme music. <laughs> <laughs> I was really looking forward to like a kick-ass version of that original song, but I didn't get it. You know, it, it was pretty lackluster. Mm. So I mean, since we've been kind of talking about how great like the <laughs> 80s theme songs were, um, it was a disappointing choice. And maybe it's a rights thing. I don't know. But yeah, come on. Bring back the original theme. Oh, well, oh, well. I'm sure on YouTube someone's already, like, edited the original theme song, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> to the intro, uh -huh. so. No, but it's a great series. If you're a fan of Transformers, or even if you're interested in getting into Transformers, I definitely recommend it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. This week on Christian's Corner, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Cyberpunk City Wire Episode 2. But before that, I got a couple other stories to talk about, like the fact that Halo has been delayed. <laughs> Holy fuck, Halo um, Infinite will be delayed, which was going to be like Xbox's huge um, exclusive title to go along with the console. Um, uh, the Xbox Series X, of course. Um, and with that delayed it's kind of you know what what are we really going to be playing on the xbox series x for those who are interested in actually buying one um or that or those who are just waiting to play it on pc like i am but <laughs> um the the concerns were that uh you know they said that they had concerns over covid for the studio and just like the you know the climates and everything going on um, how would they be able to push out the game in time at the best quality that possible? Tons of rumors going around, like did you know? Did the studio just not like the response that the game was getting? You know, there's a lot of people that didn't like the way that the graphics looked, and a lot of people that did um, like it anyway. But it doesn't really matter, I guess. They we don't know if they were just trying to polish it more or not. Uh, they, they just, you know, as most studios, they, you know, they gave out that typical answer of, we want to put out the best game possible at, at the best time possible. Um, it definitely felt like when Cyberpunk got pushed back. <laughs> but with that being said, um, Xbox has only about three games that were actually being made for the Series X uh, that will be available at launch at this point. Uh, that would be The Medium, Scorned, and Tetris Connected. And Tetris Connected isn't going to be like console exclusive forever. So it's it's kind of weird. It's uh, again, we're in this weird time period where it's like, does you know buying an Xbox matter anymore? Uh, do you just do you just get the Game Pass for PC and move on with your life? Um, everything that all three of those games are also included in Game Pass, just so that you're aware. So I mean, that is a good deal. If you do get the Xbox Series X, you get all three of those games if you sign up with Game Pass, you know, immediately right off the bat. And just to you know, clarify some, like, confusion in the gaming industry, all the Xbox One game ports that they have promised, um, you know, all the games that you'll be able to play um, if you have, you know, their backwards compatibility and everything, you know, those will be ports, but not exactly, like, full remasters or fully upgraded versions for the Series X. So all, while you will be able to play those games, um, they're not fully optimized, uh, and you know so technically only three games are actually fully optimized and ready to go for the Series X. Now this isn't all too crazy. Uh, I don't want to scare you guys here at this point. 
because you know if, if we remember the last console generation there was barely any games ready for the xbox one and the uh playstation 4 uh when those first came out it, you know it usually takes a year before we start seeing all the you know creations that are really coming from next gen you know be ready for it um you know Halo being delayed is a big hit for it, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, even look at what PlayStation 5 has as an exclusive. You know, we have Spider-Man and we have the Astro thing that, you know, comes with the fucking console every year, you know, for, you know, to help you learn the new controls and shit. Um, you know, that's, that's not a lot either. <laughs> you know, it's the same on both ends, really. Um, you know, Halo is just a very big deal as far as it comes to Xbox. I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of people's hope and hype for the new Xbox was to get to play the new Halo. So that's a, you know, that's a big downfall for that, but you're still gonna get to play it at some point. Uh, if this means that you wanna hold off on buying a Series X, that's fine. I mean, um, reports say that they're going, they think that they're going to be sold out of Xbox Series X no matter what because of production. Um, in general because they can't get enough consoles produced for the season um, So, you know either way it's going to be a struggle to get the console I feel like console sales uh, next year are going to be the lowest we've ever seen uh, Especially for um, a holiday season. So we'll definitely see how that goes I don't even know if I'll be able to pick up like a PlayStation 5 that I want to so you know it, We'll see what happens um, Beyond that, uh, another story I wanted to go over was uh, Rocksteady announced that they would be working on a Suicide Squad game. Now, uh, for those who are unaware, Rocksteady was the company that brought us the Arkham series, uh, all the Batman games, and those were fucking phenomenal. Some of the best superhero games we've gotten in the last 20 years, I would say, uh, personally. Um, the, the Arkham series is I is beloved for me. I really do enjoy that whole series. And I'm glad to see that Rocksteady has stuck with DC to make more games. You know, there was tons of speculation that they would move on to make a Superman game or just another hero, um, like maybe like a Flash or something like that. But it is interesting to see them use um, the Suicide Squad. And especially with comparison to, you know, Marvel coming out with an Avengers video game and everything like that. Uh, a lot of people are now speculating, will it be like the Avengers game where you're, you know, bouncing back and forth between characters or whatnot? Or will it be more singular where you're, you're forced into storylines with one character only? Um, and you don't make, you don't make too many choices and stuff like that. Um, you know, it forces you to play each character's story um, at a different time. Um, I mean, combat-wise, I'm super excited to see all the Suicide Squad members. And I'm assuming it will probably stick to either what's going on in the movies, uh, probably probably be something very similar to the next movie coming out um, cast-wise or the first movie that came out because that's what you know that's what you kind of do you, you want the most recognizable characters on the front um, so it should be interesting um, the villain for the game seems to be the Justice League or at least with the posters that they put out it had members of the Justice League with um, a Suicide Squad target on their heads so it seems like the Suicide Squad will be going after the Justice League. We will get to know more at the DC Fandom event, but this was exciting enough news to talk about because I do, I am a big Suicide Squad fan in general. Not the, not not necessarily the movie, while I did kind of like the first one, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I, I do like Harley Quinn and everything that they have done with her and the Suicide Squad in the comics in general. So I've always been a big fan of that, and I'm definitely excited to see that the studio behind the Arkham franchise is behind the next big um, DC video game. Uh, we've heard a lot about what's going on with DC as we talked about in the news, so we'll see how, if this you know sparks any general interest towards the comics, it hopefully gives people their jobs back. <laughs> Alright, um, last but not least, I did want to talk about um, Cyber... Cyberwire, I believe it's called again. Cyberwire fucking episode two, where we got to see more cyberpunk fucking gameplay. I, I, you know, we got a lot in the last one where, and then we had gotten like all the YouTubers kind of reaction to actually getting to play the game. Uh, this got, we finally showed off, you know, trailers for the life paths that you'll be able to choose at the beginning of the game. Um, right now, I'm still leaning towards playing Nomad as my first run. I, this this game has so much replayability, and I feel like the best way to do it, in my mind, based off what I've seen from the trailers and everything, and what I've heard from people talk, would be to do Nomad, then Street Kid, then Corpo as like your three playthroughs. And I'm talking 
this seems like a type of game that you will need to play three times to really get the full experience of the game you know really understand you know what you're getting out of each type of storyline what kind of characterizations you can do now of course you can start as this and you can play whatever fucking way you want but there are going to be different elements to how you can play based off of which life path you started with uh they showed off like some creation of the music stuff for johnny silverhand and stuff like that but i think the most uh, interesting part was there was some um, gameplay footage where it seemed like you were in Johnny's um, position, like you were seeing life from his perspective. Uh, and I feel like maybe with after what they showed with Brain Dance and stuff, maybe you'll be able to go back and you know relive some moments in Johnny Silverhand's uh, lifetime uh, <laughs> through Brain Dance and stuff like that to help further the storyline. That's just my speculation. You know, there's there's no basis behind that. It's just based off of what I saw from that. You know that whole trailer moment i i could totally see them doing that they finished up the whole event with um showing off different weapon types and stuff like that they of course didn't go too much into the sword play but they did show them pick up katanas and that's you know that's what i'm most interested in playing with but uh they showed off the shotgun they showed off the um, tactical sniper rifle that a lot of um, youtubers said that they got to use and play with um so it's definitely exciting times uh for cyberpunk uh, we're, every month we get a little bit closer, and every time you know more information comes out, I get a little bit more hyped for this game. I am I am 100% biased. I am totally buying this game, whether or not there are good reviews, bad reviews. I don't give a shit at this point. I am so excited to get my hands on this experience that I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm definitely jealous of everyone that's gotten to play it so far. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what. Um, other people kind of have as an experience as long along with me playing the game I definitely will be streaming it as soon as I can but before I get around to even streaming this game What did you guys think of the life path trailers and stuff like that? And what life path are you most interested in? You know, you can let us know in the comments or let us know on our social media pages, of course um, You know speaking of streaming I did have to take a break this last week mostly because uh, of the move I was there was supposed to be you know all these things set in place that it wouldn't fuck with my streaming schedule or my release schedule and it did anyway you know uh, everything that could go wrong went went wrong so I do apologize for not being able to post any of my Ghost of Tsushima episodes this week but as you're hearing right now we have an episode coming out so I will be able to fully edit get everything out and start pumping those back out uh, this weekend I'm gonna be definitely playing uh, more Ghost of Tsushima and um, if I can, I'm going to play some of the Avengers beta. I've heard lots of things, good and bad, about it. So we'll see how that is. And um, definitely next week, I'll talk a little bit about the Avengers experience if I get a chance to play it this weekend. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Made to Order Podcast. Christian, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I've actually got to thank you, man. Wait, what What for? Are you, are you feeling okay? Yes, I'm feeling okay. I've got to give credit where credit's due. You're right. My mother-in-law loved her personalized podcast. It was a huge hit at her 80th birthday party. Oh, that's right. You use made-to-order podcasts. I told you, man. It's the perfect, unique gift for that special occasion. Made-to-order podcast creates personalized podcasts about you, your friends, or your loved ones. What I loved is how they work with you to learn your story, and then they craft it into a one-of-a-kind script. It's produced with a professional narrator and music into a high-quality MP3 file. That's right, Damon. They offer podcast formats for different life events, weddings, birthdays, and anniversaries. If you have something else in mind, they'll even work with you to bring your idea to life. And it's a fully digital service, making it a COVID-friendly gift. You could send it anywhere in the world that has Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Play it at your wedding reception or like Damon did at a birthday party. Hey, you can even listen to it by yourself or with your loved ones. Include your favorite memories and inside jokes. Also, it'll come with two podcast-style advertisements based on your interests, hobbies, funny stories, or even things that annoy you. Visit madetoorderpodcast.com to get started creating your personalized podcast today. So, uh, with that said, you watched a movie this week. That is correct, Christian. I saw the horror film Host. Visualize us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth. What was that? 
Amy, was that you? I heard it. No, I heard something. I think there's something here. Six friends hire a medium to hold a seance via Zoom during lockdown, but they get far more than they bargained for as things quickly go wrong. When an evil spirit starts invading their homes, they begin to realize they might not survive the night. This is directed and written by Rob Savage and also written by Gemma Hurley. Host is a true movie of its time, and I'm sure the first of a slew of quarantine horror movies that we're going to get over the next couple years. Uh, The director, Savage, isn't really breaking any new ground with this movie, but he's taking kind of what works so well in other found footage films like Blair Witch, um, Paranormal Activity, and just framing it in this like new era of Zoom that we all live in. Uh, What's impressive, though, is just how well-crafted and effective this film is, especially considering like the circumstances of what's going on in the real world and like what a dumpster fire it really is. Um, this film is completely like shot on lockdown. Savage directed this entire thing like remotely with actors like having to orchestrate their own scenes. Um, the film has a brisk 57 like minute runtime that, you know, is probably one of its greatest strengths. It allows them to really like trim the fat and not get bogged down by unnecessary exposition i mean you go straight into the horror uh you know a group of friends decide to zoom a seance that's the setup um you know this just allows us to hit the ground running and really learn what we need to know um through the character's interaction um you know and savage does a great job of setting up like all the horror to come organically by showing you kind of like the sort like just like the sort of like lay of the land i guess um you know while everything's kind of going on the actors have just a fantastic chemistry together and you get a sense that either maybe they you know work together in the past or they're friends in real life because everything just feels really authentic um you know especially like they're bantering back and forth um you but where they really shine actually is when the shit hits the fan like you know we live the horror through much of their reactions and it it worked it really did um you know due to its pandemic like backdrop and the use of zoom there is this feel of like isolation that is just kind of built in with this movie um and it really adds to the suspense but like you know savage doesn't let things brew too long um he lets the audience know that shit's about to get real um just like through like really subtle like visuals happening in the background where like if you blink you miss it or just like the use of sounds like things just start to escalate really quickly and just crescendos into like spectacular chaos by the end i was amazed at the effects that they were able to pull off in this film you know um with everything going on you know at the end maybe i feel like they tried to do too much but that I mean, I guess that's really up to your own personal taste as, like, a horror fan. Um, I would have pulled back a little, personally. But that's me. Um, You know, I'm still impressed with this film, and it has my admiration. (laughs) Um, But, like, what we do end up getting, you know, and what he's able to pull off actually works a lot better than a lot of, like, big studio-backed horror films. Because he gets it. You know, what Savage understood was, like, you know, the importance of pacing, timing, and editing. I mean, the last 10 minutes barely allows you to breathe. Host, just for me, felt like comfort food as a horror fan. Um, It's able to, like, really tap into a raw nerve, like, with everything going on right now. And just allows us to escape with some good old-fashioned cathartic scares. One of the issues I've always had with movies kind of like Unfriended and stuff like that was always that they didn't much have any sound behind them at all. It's like super quiet. And they usually use that for like suspense too much. You know, I was wondering, does this film have like a score behind it? Does this movie just have a lot of ambiance with its sound? Like what's what's the deal? 
Now, there's not really any kind of, like, score happening. It's more about, like, you know, just, like, little creaks and bumps, and, you know, shit like that happening in the background um, that really just, like, builds the suspense. Gotcha. All right, well, Damon, what would you grade this film? So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give this a B plus. Uh, it might have had one too many jump scares, you know, especially at the end of the film, but just the craftsmanship that Savage, you know, had to pull off to put this film together is just amazing. And it really is just a great time for a horror fan. So, I mean, check this out. It's streaming on Shutter right now. And it needed a little bit more Transformers 80s intro, right? That would definitely be a plus. (laughs) (laughs) Everything could use (laughs) the Transformers intro song. It just makes everything better. It makes uh, life better, Christian. Now I kind of want a Transformers horror movie. but <laughs> That could work. Actually, you get that in the series a little. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I won't spoil it, but, you know, check that out, too. <laughs> Before we move on, this week's episode is sponsored by Talkin' Pops. Christian, man, I am so excited. Well, what is it this time, Damon? I just pre-ordered my deluxe trick-or-treat Sam Funko Pop from Spirit Halloween. Wait, Spirit Halloween, how did you even find out about that? Well, I got the 411 from my new favorite podcast. Well, what's it called? It's called Talking Pops. It's the unofficial Funko Pop podcast. It includes things like exclusives, giveaways, unboxings, and interviews. Also, they'll keep you up to date on all the Funko news you might have missed over the week. Well, if our listeners love Funko Pop figures, and we know that you do... Go ahead and subscribe to Talking Pops on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to tell them the nerds sent you. All right, guys, this month's artist spotlight goes to Quentin Tarantino. She's reviewing Godard's movie, and she says, it's as if a couple of movie crazy young French young Frenchmen were in a coffee coffee house, and they've taken a banal American crime novel. And they're making a movie out of it based not on the novel, but on the poetry that they read between the lines. And when I read that, I was like, that's my aesthetic. That's what I want to do. That is what I want to achieve. This groundbreaking filmmaker has made a name for himself as the king of pastiche. His passion for genre films paired with his ingenuity as a storyteller and his rich, unforgettable dialogue is what makes him one of the most important film directors over the past three decades. His sense of style is unparalleled. You could turn on any one of his movies and within frames, you know it's a Tarantino film. He is a way of paying homage to the litany of films that have inspired him without it ever feeling too derivative. And because he takes genre so seriously, his films have become almost a gateway for film buffs to discover their true magic and importance. These reasons, plus a whole lot more that we'll discuss throughout the month, is why we chose the one and only Quentin Tarantino for our Artist Spotlight. Now presenting the top five Quentin Tarantino characters. Number five, Cliff Booth, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. And I think all that lethal weapon horse shit is just an excuse so you dancers never have to get in a real fight. Cliff Booth is one of Tarantino's latest creations as played by Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The character was loosely inspired by 1971's Billy Jack and like Billy Jack, Booth has had a past of violence uh, he has struggled with and a need for the simple life. Tarantino introduces us to a character that is the go-to counterpart and stuntman for a struggling action hero in Rick Dalton. And even though when Rick struggles, he struggles, Booth remains loyal to his close friends until the end. My earliest assumptions of the character were that he would probably fall into the hands of Charles Manson and turn on Rick Dalton. And even while watching the film, I thought that was what's going to happen to a certain point. But that's just not Cliff Booth. And while he's had a questionable past, at his core, he is a good guy. Booth is a prime example of Tarantino's ability to show off and create a completely genuine and likable character. Even when Booth gets himself into trouble, you can't help but root for the guy. Number 4. Hans Landa, 
Inglorious Bastards. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! Hans Landa is one of the greatest villains in cinema history. Nicknamed the Jew Hunter, depraved and twisted, he takes a gleeful pride in his work. In the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, when he's interrogating the farmer, Christopher Waltz's Cheshire cat-like smile is a window into how sadistic of a character Londo really is. He absolutely is playing with his prey before he pounces, and getting off on every grueling, intense moment. But Hans is an ambitious monster, and really only seems to care about his own self-interest. Um, as we learn, he has no real loyalty to the Nazi cause, as he is so quick to betray and try to broker a deal that would see him almost hailed as a hero. All this leads to one of the most satisfying conclusions of any Tarantino film with Hans's forehead meeting the end of the bastard's bowie knife in the closing shot. Number 3. Mr. Pink, Reservoir Dogs. You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So is working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. <laughs> Mr. Pink is a fast-talking, all-business criminal that serves as almost a template for many Tarantino characters to come. Quick-witted when either arguing his way out of tipping or identifying a setup. You're not going to get one past this hardened criminal. He's there for a job, and that's that. Um, he might be working with the crew, but he's only looking out for number one. He's the voice of reason when no one wants to listen, making him feel like he's always one step ahead of everyone else. Which is probably why he comes like the closest to actually getting away at the end of the film. Originally supposed to be played by Tarantino himself, Buscemi makes the role his own. His acting chops plus Tarantino's dialogue is the perfect marriage. It's a shame that they haven't actually worked together more. Number two, The Bride, Kill Bill. Is that what I think it is? You didn't think it was gonna be that easy, did you? You know, for a second there? Yeah, I kind of did. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Yeah! Uma Thurman as the bride may be one of the most badass characters in action film history. We follow her through a rampage of pure vengeance as she hunts down the man who tried to kill her and her unborn child. Feeling robbed of her peace and love, she robs those deemed responsible, the deadly viper assassination squad of their very lives. While showcasing a truly brutal assassin, Tarantino, through Uma Thurman's performance, still gave us a very human character that still showed that she had a heart and gave us more than just that of a vengeful spirit. She may not be a hero, but you can firmly back and support her path of carnage in her quest to kill Bill. Number one, Jules, Pulp Fiction. I'm gonna go home. Just hang in there, baby. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. And Ringo's proud of you. It's almost over. Tell her you're proud of her. Proud of you, honey bunny. I love you. I love you too, honey bunny. Now, I want you to go in that bag and find my wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker. All right. In my mind, it wasn't even a real debate. Jules had to be number one. Uh, the hitman who has a moment of clarity which leads him on the path to becoming the shepherd. I mean, 
don't get me wrong, he's still a bad motherfucker, but he is the moral core of Pulp Fiction. Like, even with, like, Vincent chirping in his ear at the end of the film, he allows Honey Bunny and Pumpkin to walk away, and, like, that really starts his new journey. Um, he's by far, for me, the most interesting character in Pulp Fiction, and honestly, probably all of Tarantino's films. Uh, you know, it, it only takes a moment, one moment, for his life to be changed, and for, like, everyone he comes into contact lives to be changed. Uh, this is Samuel Jackson's defining breakout role. Um, it's hard to imagine cinema over the last, like, 30 years without an actor the caliber of Samuel Jackson. Um, in my mind, he should be held in the same regard as actors like Jack Nicholson and Robert De Niro. He makes every movie he's in better. And it all really started here. No, you're absolutely right, Damon. Jules feels incredibly unique as a character in the entire Tarantino-verse because of the amazing performance by Samuel L. Jackson. I'd argue that this character is the positive version of Emperor Palpatine, as in every line given by the character is so damn quotable and memorable. I mean, the character has obviously left an impression on me because I've got the same goddamn wallet. You know, the one that says bad motherfucker on it. <laughs> Tarantino struck gold when he got to work with Sam Jackson, and I can't and I won't imagine a world without this perfect performance. For anyone who hasn't watched Pulp Fiction and knows nothing of Jules, I beg you to give it a shot and find out exactly why he is our number one of Tarantino's characters. Alright, so tune in next week as our artist spotlight continues. We're going to go ahead and count down Quentin Tarantino's greatest cinematic moments. But don't leave just yet because we're about to talk some wrestling. Some. Like, a very small amount. Because <laughs> we're fucking tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we want someone for the WWF. We want the boss. The owner Madison Square Garden because Kamala can chew and has proven and will do again. He'll chew on Hulk Hogan's face whenever he sees it. Why could you? Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Somebody. I'm not going to do this. Get him out of here. All right, Damon, what's going on in the wrestling world this week? Well, we're going to really just talk about what's happening tonight because, <laughs> like I said, we're both tired. But we're recording this on Thursday and hot off the press. Uh, we've got AEW releasing Jimmy Havoc, B. Priestley, and Sadie Gibbs. Uh, there's really no details right now. Um, Sadie Gibbs is the only one to come out and comment on it. Just thanking AEW for the opportunity. Um, I'm not surprised by Jimmy Havoc because we know that he's had some, you know, personal issues happening. And they did mm -hmm. say that they were going to reevaluate the, the situation after he went through rehab. Um, but B. Priestley feels like out of left field. I know she's been stuck in, I believe, in England right now. Yeah. Um, but it felt like they had big plans for her. So that, that that's just kind of odd. I mean, I'm wondering if it's more of a contract situation or, you know, like maybe it was just a year deal. It was about to run up. So why are we going to pay her, you know, for three months when she can't even make it over here? Hopefully, you know, she comes back to the company because I was a big fan. No, yeah, I think um, once uh, traveling becomes a thing again, uh, maybe we could see more wrestlers from British. Because Sadie Gibbs was also um, European. So at that point, you, you just have to imagine. I didn't even know she was part of the company, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like looking at the article I'm here, it's on The Observer. They're saying that she, the last time she wrestled was in October on Dark. So yeah, <laughs> I can't feel too bad about that. But yeah, no, um. Yeah, B. Priestley, though, I mean, I had mm -hmm. high hopes for her. So, and they, God knows they need the talent right now in the women's division. No, absolutely. So, hopefully, they're able to bring her back at some point. All right. Well, what else you got for me, David? Yes. Yeah, so, SummerSlam is going to be taking place at the Amway Arena in Orlando. Um, this was just, I, well, I guess this isn't even announced officially, but this is coming from multiple sources. Uh, and it looks like they're 
possibly going to be doing other shows there too. People are speculating that they could do like Raws and SmackDown there throughout you know the rest of this year. So as far as we know right now, they are not selling tickets to this event. Um, but people have been like you know talking, I guess, that they might be doing some kind of like virtual fan experience. I don't know what that entails. I don't know if that's like fans like at home watching on screens and those screens being like seated around the arena. I have no clue. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It sounds like they have something in store. So does like, can my like iPad guy that they set up be like in the raw underground area or like, how does that work? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to cost you though. <laughs> All right, Christian, before we go. Quickly, I want to make a prediction, just so this this is on tape, not that we record on tape or whatever. Uh, Rhea Ripley is going to win the Women's Battle Royal to face Bayley at SummerSlam. That's my prediction. Book it. <laughs> They're doing nothing with Rhea right now. She's treading water. <laughs> they have to have a reason for you know bringing mm. NXT into that Battle Royal. I feel like it's the perfect opportunity you can have Rhea beat Bailey, and then she can continue her feud with Charlotte. Um, you know, when Charlotte comes back. Now, most likely, it's really Charlotte who's going to make the surprise entrance at the Battle Royal. You know, and then end up facing Bailey. But I can dream, right? Yes, <laughs> I just can't. You can I sure can't dream. Believe how badly WWE like botched you know Ripley's like run. It just it's it's fucking just I don't know. It's mind blowing at this point. She was so fucking hot just like, you know, months before mm. WrestleMania. And now they literally have nothing for her. She doesn't even have a match at TakeOver at this point. So, I mean, that's I just feel like maybe that's been the plan the entire time. And they just don't know how to book this shit. I don't know. I mean, you can hope, you can pray, but I mean, Charlotte's always going to be in the way. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but no, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to keep on hoping, though. Damn it. Um, also, great ending segment on Raw uh, between Ric Flair and Randy Orton. But I'm calling fucking bullshit right here. Flair's the dirtiest player in the game for a reason. I'm saying he's showing up at SummerSlam. He's going to pull the swerve. He's going to end up costing Drew the match. And then, you know, it's going to end with Randy Orton and Flair celebrating in the ring together. So, I mean, the fact that the lights went off and everything, I'm sure Randy and Flair just went ahead and used that as a way to, like, get away with, you know, making it look like he got punched in the head. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I'm calling bullshit here, man. <laughs> He's the dirtiest player in the game for a reason. So, I, How have you been feeling about Retribution in horrible. It's been horrible. <laughs> they had them show up on SmackDown. And SmackDown, I jinxed that show mm-hmm. because it was the shits this past week. Um, they had them show up at the end of SmackDown and basically reenact the whole like Nexus angle. Um, just like taking over and destroying the ring and everything. But it was so flat. It didn't make any sense. They didn't like really like, you know, take out any. There was no one there. So it wasn't like they're beating up any wrestlers or anything. Um it feels like they're just using like, you know, enhancement talent talent right now because they don't want to mm-hmm. let on like who, you know, retribution actually is. So I don't know, man. It just it it feels like bad theater at this point. So I mean, but so does, you know, Raw and SmackDown usually. But yeah, yeah. no, it's it's <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's not really grabbing me storyline wise. And like on Raw, they just had them like throw a fucking like cinder block through the window and then run away. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's just poorly produced and it's not working on any level. Well, the main thing is when they do those run-ins, they, they stand around jumping around, congratulating themselves for like 10 minutes and then they keep doing stuff. It, it makes no it's sense. It's not easy. Like, and it's so generic, like the way they're like just screaming and mm-hmm. cheering the entire time. Like, I don't know. It, it's, it's really supposed to be a take on like the rioters and everything like that, you know? And it's, I don't know. I feel like it's in bad taste. Well, I only bring them up because I have this bad idea that they will end up ruining the title match, like just as a way to get them more involved in the main storyline. Oh, well, that would be the shits. I hope that doesn't happen. Yes, it would be horrible. <laughs> but so you think they go off the air with like retribution and they ring like celebrating? 
I think yes. if they do that, they need to have like a big like reveal though. They need to reveal mm-hmm. at least like the leader or someone something like that. I mean, they have to they have to do something by SummerSlam, right? I guess it's only like two weeks away, so <laughs> you like to think that, but I wouldn't put it past them, you know, just to like you know, I don't know. All right, Dan. Well, that does it for this week. All right, but before we head out, make sure to head over to DramaCityProductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. Hey, and if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely, and you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, Dan, what are we talking about next week? All right, next week, our artist spotlight continues as we count down Quentin Tarantino's greatest moments in cinema. That's right, Damon. And then I'm going to be watching and reviewing the first episode of Lovecraft Country. So that's going to do it for this week. Yep. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. Hey, and that was The Amazing Nerd Show. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. <laughs>